Podcraft. Welcome back to the CBI. Once again, this is Puff. I have an amazing guest from Brood for Her Ledger. Uh, Audra, how do you pronounce your last name for everybody out there? It is Gaijunas. It is Lithuanian. Gaijunas. Gaijunas. And there's a G, a A bunch of vowels, a Z, Uh and a bunch of vowels, and an S. I always joke that if I could spell my own last name as a kid, I could win any spelling bee. (laughs) But but seriously, it is is a complex name. So when people try to find you, um, it is... uh, it is a, it's hard <laughs> to type all that stuff in. No, I'm just like do Audrey and like Beer. I'm t- Audrey, Put Audrey no, no, no. and Beer and you'll find me. No, and you're, but. first of all, you're amazing. And thank you for being on the show. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, we've talked that you're a Dewhawk and, and we have that. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> Dewhawk pride. Geographical uh, <laughs> experience in common. And the fact that uh, you are. Uh, can I say maven? Can I use the term maven? Maven sure. of all that which is breweries um, and and wineries. I mean, you can help out so many people. What do you do? <laughs> I am a fractional CEO and CFO for Craft Beverage, and just 90% of my clients ha- happen to be breweries. But, but you said fractional CEO, mm-hmm. so I know you go into a place and you help people understand you know, the numbers What I see coming into the industry is I see people with this amazing passion and -hmm. it's exciting to see their passion and they want to make, no one says they want to make shitty beer. Let's be honest. Yeah. Nobody's like, I'm, (laughs) I am out to get the, (laughs) to get the worst beer out on the planet. I'm going to be the world's okayest brewer. (laughs) It's going to be the world's okayest beer. No, and I hate that marketing. It's like, "Ah, I'm going to be the, we're making the best beer, the clean, it's just, it's ridiculous. No one has set out to be, I'm going to be mediocre. Right. And so, People that have this passion with brewing and whether they come from a whole brew background, whether they come through our curriculum program, they just, there's, there's that love affair with this delicious bubbly liquid we call beer. Mm -hmm. That being said, (laughs) there is people coming in from the business side that have a good grasp of what's going on for some, you know, for some, but you help everyone bridge that gap between their passion in understanding the numbers. Yeah. Well, I'm a home brewer too. When I started to work for Dogfish Head, so I've been in the industry for a decade now. And when I joined Dogfish Head. And, and you Head, started at 14. So you're doing the math. You're 24 <laughs> now, which is amazing. You had a master's at like 12. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we'll, we'll keep my age a little bit of a secret. <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, tw- a decade ago, I got in a beer and started to work for Dogfish Head as their controller. And just hearing Sam Caligioni talk about his stories of, of brewing and this keg exploding because these cranberries went into secondary fermentation and this and that. To me, it was, uh, and I already love to cook in general. Des- I love cooking. I love doing cooking African Mediterranean dishes. So to me, this was an extension of that, but with beverage and with this wonderful creature called yeast you know you never know which way it's going to take off and what it's going to impart in terms of esters and aroma and so I started a homebrew I had a first my first batch was all grain it was a smoked porter I had no idea what I was doing when milling 
So it turned out to be uh, about 3.6%. Which is completely fine. <laughs> but, but there's so much that five gallons of a smoke porter is, <laughs> at 3.6 is a lot to, to consume when a lot of your friends are like, why, why do you even have this much smoke <laughs> in this pier? <laughs> but it was a good start. Smoke is something so, that can be very overpowering for a lot of people. It, true. That's true. And it, it is even to me to some degree. But that was the one that really stood out to me because it was stone that had put that out I had just moved up to Delaware it was made such a great impression on me because I went to a barbecue restaurant and I got the smoke porter from stone to pair with it and it really set off the flavors of each the the beverage and the dish itself and so no, that that's like a those complementary flavors when we're talking sensory mm-hmm. analysis when you have right. like with like and when you have those two complementary flavors like that and great now i'm hungry i, wa- I really need barbecue right now <laughs> it was really good <laughs> but okay so the whole point i was trying to make is that i came back i i was working in beer and i got into home brewing and i noticed that a lot of the brewers that i met i'm in the festival festivals circuit i'm i'm hanging out with all the brewers too i mean this is my life my beer no, is it, my it, personal professional I live it, dream it, sleep it, drink it, like all the things. All the things beer, I am all the things. And I run I run for beer. My li- <laughs> my license plate says run for beer. Like, I, anything. I'm running 50 races in 50 states right now and at each one. Why are you doing that? No one's chasing you. I never understood that. <laughs> I'm trying to earn my beer. <laughs> oh, well, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but, Everything in moderation. Yeah, exactly. And, running, and, and running in moderation too. There is, well, run a half marathon and then drink you know a beer from colorado or a beer from montana again you said run a half marathon and that was just like no i'm earning it no you are earning it you are definitely earning. <laughs> but the point beer is everything to me and it has been for a decade i have history going back to my grandfather owning a brewery in lithuania that got dismantled when he got uh, arrested and sent off to a siberian p- concentration camp um, he was a patriot freedom fighter and then he was just seen as a threat Um, So they dismantled his brewery while he was in the concentration camp for eight years with my grandmother. He came back. There was absolutely no record of it there. Uh, And it just had gone away as if it had never existed. So I feel like I'm living on my grandfather's legacy. No, you. it's in your blood. There's no way you're going to get rid of it now. Fiery, fiery independent. No, it's in there. I'm all about seeking that seal and helping independent beer out. So, uh, But uh, I have a business background, accounting finance i've always fought for the little guy worked in small business i happened to work for a large global machinery company for a year and a half and that was my one and only corporate foray and i knew that wasn't a fit for me yeah my mom was an independent uh, she was an opera singer on her own uh, soprano my dad was a physician that refused to join a large clinic he had his own shingle that he had hung out and they, you know, sometimes we struggled. You wouldn't think that a doctor struggles, but when you're independent and you're still kind of fighting the system and charging $35 an office visit, you're gonna struggle sometimes to make ends meet. No one understands that charging a $35 office visit like even existed. Yeah, and it did. It's like the house call, the doctor that would make house calls. It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't. Still, I know. to like this day, it's like you said, we've talked, we, you know, I know a little bit about your story because we've talked before, but like, yeah. it just blows my mind that, um, they would dismantle a brewery. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It was seen as a, a point of national freedom. And yeah, I Lithuania know. had to be quashed. You know, the spirit, yeah. the independent spirit had to be quashed as Which much is, as possible. Yeah, it's just, it's a sad, it's a sad state of affairs. And it, I, 
I guarantee you that you living on that legacy through beer and helping people the way you do with your financial background, your accounting background, your MBA. I mean, you understand the numbers way better than I ever will. <laughs> well, that's why you can teach me about <laughs> flavors and and different chemical <laughs> equations that make everything up in, no, into but, the whole process. But and thank you very much for coming and you know, talking to the curriculum students. Thank you for helping sure, everybody out yeah. in the industry. Because like I said before, there are people coming from that passion background that really don't understand the numbers. And you've helped right. people out all over the country understanding you know inventory control and you know where can we cut costs but not quality because mm -hmm. you love beer right. it, it boils down right. to the fact that you want to drink <laughs> you want to drink as not as much beer but you want to drink a good quality beer all over the country mm -hmm. and you're willing to go there and and look at their numbers and say here's where you guys can really be more lean and right. have a better manufacturing. And you under the, the beautiful thing about what you do is you understand the manufacturing process. You yes, understand what yeah. it takes to make super high quality beer. Mm -hmm. And you can say, look, you need to move this or move that, or you, you're buying too much of this, or you know, th there's a way, th there's a methodology, and I've seen the magic spreadsheet, let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> th th yeah. there's, something, you, there's tools that you've developed and mm -hmm. used over time right. that can really, really help people understand where, uh, where you can cut some things, but the quality of the product continues to remain. Right. Well, it's a lot of times it's in processes or how you're designing your systems just in general. So starting out with having a chart of accounts that hasn't been set up for you for as a brewery, it's not going to give you the information that you need to make good business decisions. So revising those and looking at them and creating them from scratch. But yeah, I use a lot of my Six Sigma background from my manufacturing days and I'm incorporating it into beer well, and it, combining it, with my public accounting background to create these operational audits. So I come in and I watch the brewers brew package. I'm up there on the on the deck with them. I'm wearing my pink boots, my pig wellies. Love and it. <laughs> well, and brewing is manufacturing. Uh huh. It you absolutely have is. Raw material coming in mm -hmm. and a product going out. Yeah. At, at the heart of everything that we do, it is just. I don't want to say just manufacturing, but I mean, but it really is a manufacturing, it's a big manufacturing facility, no matter how small or how big mm -hmm. we are, right. we're, we're making that product, we're adding value to agriculture. That's it. And mm -hmm. and when you start applying those same principles that have worked for every other industry, it makes sense to apply those same principles to brewing. Right. It, it does with appreciation of the brewer being an artist. And there's an art in, our industry of being nuanced that you can't standardize a lot of things that you can standardize in other industries. We don't make widgets. We're recipe based. So uh, and we have different resources within each one of the breweries that we are trying to optimize. So in terms of people that are there. So you don't have these set positions in a set hierarchy. You're working with who you have, you find their strengths and you put them in places that allow the brewery to shine. And if there are any gaps, you outsource that or you, you bring someone in that has that strength and that particular facet of knowledge that they could then enhance with the brewery. So other than accounting and finance, I think of social media. There are some people that are beer industry veterans that only focus on social media and they work with eight, 10, 12 breweries, but they pr provide them this face and this beautiful branding that they show to the public that anybody that works at that brewery currently can't provide for whatever reason. It, it, so. the, the thing I love about what you do is you, you look at this like 50,000 feet looking down mm -hmm. and some, yeah. you know, some people that own breweries or work at breweries are so 
integrated in what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. They can't step back and look right. down right. and be like, here's what you all need to do or here's where you're lacking. Mm-hmm. Right. Hire someone for this position and everything is going to change overnight. Right. It's how people communicate at the brewery or don't. Uh, the paperwork that is there communication or is oh my god it's uh, so key it is so key i try to teach that here with our students i'm like you have to talk to each other right it, 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 it comes down to even simple as that like talk to each hey i'm gonna go use the bathroom you have to watch this while it's boiling <laughs> yeah you know kind of don't, important no yeah. but like don't walk yeah. away from it but right. it, it, as rudimentary as that may sound there may be some of that that just even saying it out loud it's it's as silly as that but if we don't say it out loud, it doesn't happen. It's it's important. And micromanaging does not work no. in, in a brewery either. And no. It does in some industries, but not this one. It it causes a lot more issues than anything. No, because the, you know, <laughs> there's way too many facets and pieces and cogs mm-hmm. and parts going at the same time. Right. Through all, even if it's a small place, you still have to do all these things. Right. To get people drawn in or, or get people you know, uh, buying your brand or understanding your brand or even discovering your brand at that point. Right. Um, so not to put you on the spot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you looked at me like, uh, um, screw what's you. Happening? So, so let's say a, a top few things, mistakes mm-hmm. that you would say off the top of your head that I wouldn't say most, but just some of the glaring things that you've seen uh, over some of the past things that you've audited and done and helped people out with I don't want you to mention names. I won't. Okay. I, I know you won't because mm-hmm. um, you're smarter than that. But <laughs> but like, you know, a couple of pet peeves that you have maybe like my for me, it's crumbs and butter. Like if you're going to put your knife in the butter, don't <laughs> butter your toast and then put it back in there. That but I have to throw that stick of butter away because now it's tainted. Really? No, it's it's, it's or like when you squeeze the toothpaste in the middle. No, <laughs> not allowed. No, my wife is an angel. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> Like that's get as funny. much butter as you're going to need and then butter your toast. And then that's it. Right. Don't go back in. What about in. corn? Like would you take the butter, considering where we're from, would you take the stick of butter and rub it over the corn and How then leave it back? dare like, you? <laughs> I, no. What, so not the, to put you no, on the spot. <laughs> but there are people that have the butter dish that they would take their ear of corn. Sweet yes. corn is what we're talking about. Right. And they would roll their sweet corn in the butter. The entire stick. Right. No, that's a big no for you, right? I can't. I... How do you butter your corn, then? Why, why does corn need butter? Oh, what? Well, okay, well... Corn itself is delicious and sweet. It should be. You know what it needs? Less shelf time on the store pepper. to turn into no, starch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pe- pepper is what I like. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, that All was right, a back t- to the pet so, peeves thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, so pet peeves as far as business, not my uh, weird proclivities okay. that... <laughs> my wife has to deal with but uh so well you know we've talked about this before too that the number one issue that we as an industry face is that we open and operate undercapitalized underfunded yes Yes. and that still remains the case people aren't asking for a large enough loan they're not adding enough of an equity injection they're kind of applying this hope is my strategy thought process to opening and then we'll, we'll just make it work and that never works because within three to five years at the absolute longest, it'll catch up with you. So that's why we're seeing a lot of these breweries close nowadays is because they opened and operated without enough capitalization, not a strong enough structure in and place. In my recommendation to a lot of people that come into the CBI, uh, the Craft Beverage Institute of the Southeast, is wait two years, save up more money, and then open. 
Right. Or, that's or, it. Or what find you... another injection of cash. It's Don't... not going to go away. No. <laughs> your passion and your love for this stuff mm-hmm. isn't going to go away. I know you want to open now. Right. Wait. Right. Wait. Just wait. Wait until the numbers make sense. Yes. Yes. And then you'll take off from there. But that's one. Uh, communication. Uh, production sometimes doesn't speak to non-production. And so a lot of the beers that sometimes. are coming out. <laughs> so, but so, like it, sales. Various reasons. Yeah, yeah. It is like sales. Like I've always seen sales not talking to production or like lab not talking. Like there's there's a disconnect for communication in some places where it's not that infrastructure isn't set up. Right. And that that's something that happens often. And that is a huge problem for a lot of the breweries that are out there as well. Is that lack of communication because then... If your sales aren't your sales and production are intertwined, you're building sales forecasts when you're building projections for the year, and then that folds back into your to your brewers. They're the ones that are producing that beer to make sure that you're meeting that same demand. And but, that, but that's a growth thing too. Is like mm-hmm, as people big. expand, they're like, oh, now we're hiring our for salesperson, right? And they're out there killing it, but they're not relating. The information like uh, this particular beer is really taking off. We need to make more of it. That's that's a problem. Like there's a disconnect there, even with growth. So if you're having a growth problem, it may be a communication problem, not necessarily like the fact that people like your beer. Right. And that is, but cash becomes, cash flow yes. is even a bigger problem. Agreed. For those that are growing, they, they have this immense focus on profitability rather than cash flow management. And cash is what's driving everything, all of our decisions. That's how you operate. You can show whatever you want as profit. You Oh, you made $150,000 last year, but you have nothing in the bank. You can't operate. You can't place orders or anything. So, you can't pay for grain. You can't right. pay for hops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. So that's the biggest issue that I see through growth because they're injecting all this cash. They'll buy things in bulk to get the price discount. But at when you're a small brewery, you need that cash to do other things. So it may be more advantageous for you to buy it at a slightly higher price and have less of that quantity, more managed just in time to not get into that price break issue and have all of your cash tied into a pallet of cans, for example, exactly. or, or something along those lines. As you get larger, it makes more sense to to order in those quantities and take advantage of the discount that you get, the 2% net 10, for example. But when you're small, you need to be able to stretch that dollar out as far as possible. Well, and have space. Yeah, space you know, is also an always, important thing. Always, like you're paying for space. Like don't sit on that stuff and just being, and, and paying for it. Right. Inventory right. control is something at like the heart of all of this. Like don't, grain goes stale, Can, cans go bad. Yeah, yes, they do. Yeah, and people need to know that. And it's also, uh, even machinery-wise, if you're going to purchase a piece of machinery and only use it five to six times a year... Doesn't it make any... Yeah. Either, either you are going to... You need to find another ancillary revenue stream so you can, for example, anybody else's beer, somebody else's beer to utilize that machinery because that return on that investment is going to be absolutely awful. Right. And atrocious. And why did you even spend that money well, on Well, how there? are you going to pay for the machinery if you're not getting <laughs> yeah. that return on the investment? It just... Yeah. In... Speaking of return on investment, so now it's time for booze glues. Oh, okay, That's the worst transition I've ever had on this <laughs> on this podcast. But um, thank you for that honor. <laughs> so 
I know you're in the beer industry, but I wanted to throw you a curveball. Okay. So I have poured you. Uh, well, it's a liqueur, um, and so we can we can both share it right now. So okay. cheer, cheers to you. Uh, if, for those people listening, it's a. Uh, I would say it's a, a pretty golden yeah. uh, liqueur. Clear. Yeah, clear. Uh, swirl it around in the glass. It's got some beautiful legs, so there's going to be some viscosity to it. I'd be curious to see what you think, um, what this is. I really wanted to throw you a curveball, <laughs> and it, it really is kind of a curveball. So if we're smelling it, there's uh, definitely some uh, some pretty funny, not funny aromas, but pretty like uh, telling aromas of what it is. It's definitely, it's orangey and it's also like a little toffee. I get a little bit of toffee There's off little that. Car- little like caramelization. Caramel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get a little bit of that deep, uh, a little bit of sugar, uh, like a, a caramelized sugar. It smells super boozy too. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of this podcast is going to go so well. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about that. Um, so let me know what you think of what it is. And it is... Uh, yeah, my mom drinks this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Grand Marnier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my mom is like no, all about... Uh, she, uh, not brandy. She goes to cognac. She gargles so with cognac. Gargles with cognac? Yeah, when she's sick. I want to high five your mom. And she's... Benedictine and Grand Marnier. Those are like her big staples. And really? Yes. I want to party with your mom. <laughs> my mom is fun. No, but she <laughs> like that. It's good booze. Because it's funny because Grand Marnier is cognac based. Mm-hmm. It's she cognac, grain neutral spirits, and, and a triple distilled orange liqueur. So, like, that's right in her wheelhouse. She yeah. gargles with cognac. Yeah, when she's sick. She totally does. What? But then she drinks it. Well, no, but, <laughs> but, but there is certainly some her. antiseptic. Like, there's yeah, some, some definitely. antimicrobial things that are happening <laughs> with the liquor. But she, wow. Um, high five your mom. Yeah, for she me makes her time. own uh, Eastern European spirits as well. Wow. Like yeah, she starts with green. Yeah, it's like a kvass, a take on a kvass, and she'll use a rye bread, the rinds from the rye bread. Sure. And she'll use grapes, and sits, it puts them... To in, add some tannins, add mm-hmm. some complex, and some sugar. Yeah, and yeah. it sits in the freezer, uh, up, and we'll drink it. She'll put black currant. Black currant is another one of her favorites that she likes to use. You know, use. that's something that we don't use enough over here. We don't. People aren't familiar with that. Currants are so berry. delicious. Yeah, and the black and the red are completely different flavor no, profiles. No, 100% different. And there's nothing like a black currant out there. If you have a black currant, I can't compare it to anything else. I can't think of, of anything that it tastes like. Yeah, Except, I don't know what like, it, when I would taste a black currant, I'd be like, oh, that's black currant flavor. Yeah, that's why I like cassis too. No, that's, no, no. Well, and that's yeah. a, a, a currant liqueur. So it mm-hmm. is, no, that's a very interesting take on a, a traditional kvass recipe too. So kvass is K-V-A-S-S, uh, Eastern European, Russian. Uh, they would take, uh, you know, ends of bread and, and mm-hmm. they would turn it into this lightly sparkling effervescent uh, alcoholic product. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually outsells Coke in Russia. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. have street vendors very similar to uh, uh, Pulque in Mexico, where they would, you know, you would go to the street vendor and you get this kind of a little bit of kvass, and it would give you kind of a pick me up during the day. Very cool. Yeah, it's yeah, very kvassus. interesting. In Lithuanian, it's kvassus. Yeah, kvass. So kvass in, in right. Russian, kvassus in, in Lithuanian. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, you nailed it. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is my mo- thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> See lessons I've learned yeah. from my mom that are not just academic. <laughs> so I throw you a curveball and you're like, no, this is good. Right <laughs> Thank you, holidays and my mom for, for letting me drink. <laughs> Anytime I visit, actually. <laughs> That's awesome. My, uh, my my boyfriend visited her for the first time. The, my Both of my parents, when he visited for the first time, she was serving him alcohol at breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, I love you. Is this a trick question? <laughs> like, yes, I will totally this taste. Is, is, is this part of the interview? Because <laughs> I will totally drink that cocktail <laughs> for breakfast. He's like, she's trying to get me drunk to like tell me to tell her the truth about things. <laughs> I love it. This is totally the way my mom's mind would work. <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, I grew I grew up with alcohol is it's part of our traditional family culture and sure not over imbibing most of the time it was just it's just part of what you have as it is in most of eastern europe we have an amazing beer culture in lithuania that nobody very few people know about because I very know few nothing about it is a beer very diverse really cool uh old culture that has not been really discovered yet the Saccharomyces are blends, hybrid blends of ales and lagers. Where's one that I uh, had smuggled in and they had six <laughs> different, they isolated it and at White Labs and yeah. there were six different strains of Saccharomyces that were in there. This really? thing, this yeast will ferment at 105 and not, and give off the cleanest beer off of it. 105 degrees, yes, really? Yes, yes. But that's just one. Uh, every village there has its own yeast, yeah, its yeah, village yeah. yeast, and they share that yeah. that they make for celebrations like weddings and things. But most people drink beer on a regular, everyday basis, and the beers are farmhouse ales that are uh, raw and sometimes without boiling that they've been created. They'll they'll bake some bread and throw that into the mash to add a little mouthfeel, mm-hmm. a little bit of starch. Sure, yeah. And there's darker versions and lighter versions, but they're all fuller and they're mostly fruitier along the lines of saisons. But you're so not the byproduct of the yeast metabolisms is going to throw off a little bit more esters. It is. And, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of farmhouse sure. type styles that are there, but you'll have 500 a village of 500 people, and there'll be 20 like so-called microbreweries that are there. And how, it's just how a very have you rich not culture. written a book about that yet? I've only read some of it. And Michael Jackson, our esteemed beer writer, may he rest in peace, he had written about traveling to Eastern Europe and visiting Lithuania, and he's like, I have never had beers like this before. I don't even know how to describe this. This has cherry smoke in it, but it's a lager, and I hear that they made it with peas. Wow. Yeah. So they, it's still on this. I have to go there. It, you definitely should. No, I like that is no, I that that's on the bucket list now. I I It's a great beer culture of a country. So we're it's trying tiny. to pick out places for curriculum students to go. Oh, and Lithuania is like, cheap. Well, so, inexpensive. Inexpensive. There's nothing yes. I don't like True. the word cheap. Okay. I am I am inexpensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cheap. No, I'm cheap. But that being said, like looking around the world at like brewing meccas you know some stuff that's been undiscovered mm-hmm. there's certain places that have been making really really unique and interesting products for thousands and thousands of years and it's you know getting those small town traditions mm-hmm. built up 
uh, and talk about them because there's some unique things that are out there that nobody else is doing. But the beverages that are coming out of those regions are not just unique to the region, but they're delicious. They are. And I think largely it's undiscovered because so few people speak the Lithuanian language. Which, so, which I do not. Yeah, there's only 9 million of us in the world that do. And so I was able, I can translate a lot of these recipes, a lot of these programs. Sure. I grew up with the language. I'm bilingual, so Lithuanian English are interchangeable for me. Sometimes I dream in Lithuanian. Which no, And that's how you know you've mastered a language. When you dream in when it? When you dream in it. Yeah. I, I was told that a long time ago. Um, at one point, I used to dream in Spanish. Huh. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah. I lost all that. And that might be because I, I um, drink for work. Mm-hmm. Not because I want to. I drink for work. I just work right. a lot. And then they say that once you dream in another language, you have mastered it. Huh. Which well. is which is crazy to say, but it's kind of interesting. And you think about it, you're like, oh, I could see that. That's why I feel lucky that I can read these recipes and, yeah. and look upon this cultural phenomenon that is largely a hidden gem still because so few people speak that language. And is just in Lithuania or Eastern European? Just in, Lithuania. Just Lithuania. It, Latvia and Estonia do not have the same beer culture that Lithuania does. Huh. Yeah. That's fascinating. I Yeah. There's uh, there's this bar called Schnekutis that's worth going to. It's a guy in this... Uh, you the had owner me is at Schneck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going there. Schnekutis. <laughs> it, it means like tattler. Somebody that, that tells... Tales, uh, tales, tale, tale tales, but it it is, but it's also like you're giving away secrets. Schnekutis, so really? it's like yeah, it's a little gossipy, giving away secrets or sort a of thing. I love that, which I think is a great implication for yes. what happens when you drink too much high ABV beer. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> you start speaking things. There's a like, social lubricant act. Yes, uh, you know it's quality to those. Yeah, yeah, true serum. Yeah. <laughs> But that that it all just ties together to who I am, and I thought that was no. That's fascinating. Like other your Eastern, Euro- I mm-hmm. mean, yes. If we I talk to somebody from Estonia, they'd be like blah blah blah. But you have that connection to that region of the the world, and you know, like peas, really, like they mm-hmm. they ferment pea. Like what flavor? Com- uh, I've it's got head it. retention. No, there's a lot of proteins, and it would be like the complex that forms. Uh, foam, really, like the bubbles on top of beer, and it would be a part of that. It's just fascinating to me. Like that's out there, and it, it, it's not like it hasn't been discovered because right. they've known about it for hundreds of years. Right, and they were using, they didn't have hops at the time too, so they were so, using yeah, it. Very like a gruit. Like a gruit, yeah. very much so. So yeah. dandelion root, it was a big one. Sure. Uh, yarrow, of course, but other types of herbs that are. Mugwort, and mm-hmm. I mean, uh uh, heather flowers and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's what they use for a bittering. Wormwood, probably right. at some point. I'm sure for yeah, maybe I don't I don't know. I haven't seen a recipe with wormwood yeah. in there. It's the most bitter substance on the planet. <sighs> one one of the most bitter substances on the planet. Well, so there's a liquor called Triste Vinere. Well, it's three nines, and it is uh, 27 different spices and herbs that are Lithuanian that it use they use as a digestive and. Uh, that would be something for you to try at some point. I it is, would love to try it. It is all these Lithuanian roots and barks and different herbic, herbal yeah, botanicals. Yeah, yeah. So, w- one of the most beautiful things, I think, is when you go around to these regions and they mm-hmm. had to make, I don't want to say make do with what they had, but they knew about the plants and roots and flowers in the area and, and in the region. 
mm-hmm. that they grew up in and they would make these super local, super artisanal, it's craft beverage at the heart of it. Like this is what we had. Like someone traveled and had this flavor somewhere else and they brought that flavor back, yeah. but they wanted to recreate it. Like I've had students try to do that here in the Appalachians, make an Appalachian gin or an Appalachian absinthe or something. Like they're gathering some of the things locally to replicate flavors and flavor compounds in particular that are associated with some of those things regionally that came uh, geographically where, where some of these things were created. It's just a, an amazing thing. Like you can go to any small town in Europe and there's something mm-hmm. local there. Right. And, and I need to drink all of those things because I need to do that. <laughs> I need to do that for the student. So what, what's your favorite one that you've had free. that's been free? free. <laughs> yeah. Anything. So I've had people bring me. It's funny you say that because my normal drinking day starts at 8 a.m. No, I, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I've been super lucky to try things from all over the planet. And I've, I've been very, very lucky to travel all of the places I have and mm-hmm. try different things. And, and, and favorite is, is so, I, I don't want to use the term favorite. Because there are merits to things that people have coaxed out of whatever botanical it is. Right. And, it, you know, it's it's Made like it having shine. an amazing air de vive, mm-hmm. like an apple air de vive, where you're capturing the essence of that apple falling from the tree into your hand. And then you're capturing that fresh apple essence and putting it into a bottle. But people can do that with elderflowers and they can do it with currants and they can right. do it with, there's so many things out there. I, I can't say that I have a favorite. Okay, that's fair. It, it's because I don't eat the same thing for breakfast every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I have favorites, but I don't eat the same thing. It's like I'm in the mood for this or I'm in the mood for that. Right. And it changes seasonally. It changes with time. And it changes for most people. They go through like spurts or, or um, excitement about one thing and then they'll move on to the next. I can appreciate someone coaxing um, a coffee liqueur and getting a beautiful coffee flavor. Or, uh, you know, they look at a pine schnigel, which is a... a a rhubarb wine mm-hmm. and they can oh, get that gosh. essence. Yeah, yeah right. That re- rhubarb. Oh, right. So you grab that rhubarb and you grab that essence of that fresh rhubarb flavor and you can capture that in a bottle and it ages and it, it develops complexity and flavor. And so I can appreciate all of those things coming into a glass. Mm-hmm. And when that glass is presented to me, I can, I can say, oh, wow, this is my favorite at that time. But rum, for instance. I've been lucky enough to try some very, very interesting rums lately. And I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. Oh, now this is my favorite. Or, mm-hmm. you know, all of them have merit. All of them are delicious in their own right. And it's, you know, it's not about a frontal lobotomy. It's about the bottle in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 which is kind of funny to say, but it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you can, you can see what the artist was trying to paint the picture precursor wise before it was put in a bottle and sent to me right and so i really appreciate that artistry and the science and engineering and technology and all the stuff that goes into producing uh, modern day spirits and so that's my favorite is free awesome good to know yeah the only the only spirit or beer wine cider spirit that anything alcoholic that i've had better even non-alcoholic that i've had better than that is um stuff i've won So if I've won, you know, so if I've made a bet or, uh, you know, it it just, you know, I haven't had to pay for it. Yeah. (laughs) But, but there is an appreciation for all of that stuff that, that that you like, 
you you have uh, all of that uh, knowledge from Lithuania, and like that needs to be shared. And me, that's we haven't talked about that either, oh. and I haven't discovered. I haven't really explored too much of that side. Which yet, is too but bad. It is. It's the national drink. No, and it, yeah. I have uh, three curriculum students right now making mead for their capstone. That's awesome. Because of yeah. what I refer to as the Game of Thrones Viking effect, there is a bunch of interest in mead right now mm-hmm. because of those two shows, because mead was featured pretty prominently, and they're 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 highly watched, mm-hmm. and so people are discovering more about it. And there's some amazing absolutely phenomenal meads and mead makers out there so i've been very lucky recently to try a bunch of uh, a bunch of meads and so the terroir of the honey yes like, so sourwood honey is something that's pretty popular down in this region right but those combs have to be pulled within the three weeks that those sourwood trees are, are uh blooming blooming right in order so to get it, that. it's such an, a very like artisanal mm-hmm. regional thing and people use beer and or honey and beer all the time and so grabbing that local honey and trying to capture the essence of the locality and the smells that people are smelling it's really similar to water for me it is you know, it is very similar regional to water, water right. really 90 to 95 percent of beer is water and so the water in your region depending on what you do after it comes out of the ground whether it's coming from a municipality it's coming from a well and you're filtering it or whatever you're doing to it is really unique to you it is it, the honey is too like it's yep. The region, what flowers are growing in that region yeah. that the bees are pollinating and getting their source of food from. I, I love that too because it does, the honey represents the region itself. So you can have the same mead recipe from di- to, from country to country, but the honey is going to impart a different Even five flavor. miles away. I, it's like crazy, but I love that. Like this is an apple orchard or an orange orchard. Right, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This is a clover field. And but, like, mm-hmm. the, the honey itself can change so dramatically from a short amount of, like just a short area. Right, orange blossom is another one that's a good Love one. Love yeah. orange blossom honey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we talked recently about uh, mesquite and bamboo. Mm. And there's some really different artisanal honeys that are coming out right now, you know, made by phenomenal uh, beekeepers that, you know, are really passionate about certain single varietals and like the flavors that you can, co- buckwheat. And there's just a lot of different uh, different flavors that would, you know, translate into this alcoholic beverage. I had a student this semester, uh, his family owns bees and, and they have uh, quite a bit of honey mm-hmm. in the Georgia region. Mm-hmm. And they took that honey, he took the honey that his uh, that his farm had, fermented it out. It was an absolutely brilliant mead. It was just delicious. And he took the 14 gallons he made and distilled it. Oh no! And it was really? it's even better. Oh wow! No, I would have figured like and, no, 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 no. He distilled it, <laughs> and he aged it over cherry wood, and some toasted French oak. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's, it's absurd how good it is. Oh. It really is absurd. Um, and he won't ever listen to this, which is good because I don't want to give him <laughs> props for doing. But you know that that uh, that's the artist part of it. It is like he could take that honey, make turn it into a brilliant mead, take that mead, then distill it. Take the heart cut, mm-hmm. taste right. it, and be like, this needs this. This needs cherry wood, or this needs toasted French oak to coax more and, and complement the flavors that are already there. But that's so regional. That that the honey from that region is, is so mm-hmm. unique at that right. point. It was just a very interesting that it's the labor of love you could tell how passionate well, it, it's he is a because lot of you're labor. putting so much work yeah. Yeah, into this 
to get it just right and all the only thing that's driving you is wanting to make it perfect yeah this 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 is missing this you're, i need to add this you're an underpaid janitor doing this job yeah <laughs> you, you you laugh because you know yeah you brewed, i mean how many <laughs> batches of beer have you brewed and you know mm. it's 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 you know keeping everything clean and sanitized yeah that's that's a big key and fortunately i haven't had that many infected batches over the years but uh, Saison is my favorite to brew. I just love that yeast. I just love how with the different directions it can take. and All the different varieties and strains. Like one right. is a Saccharomyces cerevisiae. One mm-hmm. is a Saccharomyces diastaticus. Right. They can just, which can dry everything. There's so many variations of that beer. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, you go to Belgium and try 500 breweries oh, and 500 oh, different heavenly. beers. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So you know what else is heavenly? Danny McConnell from McConnell Farms. Taste the way you remember. He's our sponsor for this podcast right now. That's also a transition. Again, a really, really (laughs) poor one. But uh, homemade ciders and ice creams. Um, Ice cream pie. Unbelievable. Thank you, Danny, once again for sponsoring the podcast. And thank you, Audra, from Brewed for her ledger. Yes. Find her on the... uh, I'm, I'm doing the typing motion. On the little Facebookers. Uh, the Facebook. On the uh, Instagrams. The interwebs. Okay. The internets. Yes. Breedforherledger.com. I am Beer Runner Audra on Instagram and most other social media. Yeah. So beer so and running. Follow her, please. Because <laughs> it's not just about... Certainly you can learn... <laughs> You can learn so much from her. It's absurd. But uh, she's amazing and follow her. Find her. Seek her out. She can help you if you have problems. So thank you very much for being here. Cheers. Uh, And... (laughs) Thanks for having me, Puff. Anytime you want to come back, we'll talk. uh, You can teach me some more Lithuanian. Okay, that sounds great. All right, cheers. All right, cheers. 